Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how are you this week? I'm doing well. Uh, it's uh, a week after sin. Things have kind of gotten back to normal after the uh, the craziness that we had last week with just all the events here in town. But it's been a good week. I uh, had a good trip with Dr. Rayner as well last week in Tupelo. We're hitting a Georgia Baptist event this weekend, so uh, another road trip. And then we've got trustee meeting coming up in a, a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. Is that at Ridgecrest? It is. It is. Looking forward to getting out there to Ridgecrest in the, the Blue Ridge Mountains and and uh, checking out everything in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and the surrounding area. So looking forward to that. Always Lovely. a fun time out there, and uh, Ridgecrest is a great place uh, to, to kind of get away for a couple of days. Yeah. Are you one who uh, is a side trip over to the Drippolator? Yes. i got to make that Everybody trip. does. Got to make that trip. It, it's the best. It's the best. Well, we came home from the craziness of SEND uh, and ERLC National Conference and right into the craziness of a new semester. So a uh, new yeah. student orientation started this week, and we're jumping right in next week. Yep, seminaries getting everything cranked up. And uh, speaking of seminaries and colleges, we got a couple of news items of note from the states and a couple of the colleges. Number one, Union University quitting the Council on Christian Colleges and Universities over Mennonite members' same-sex marriage moves. Yeah, this uh, hit this afternoon um, really fast. A lot of chatter about it. Uh, Basically, the Council for uh, Christian Colleges and Universities, uh, which is an organization that's been around for a very long time, Um, a lot of members, a number of Southern Baptist schools um, are a part of that. And two member schools, Eastern Mennonite University and Goshen College, had uh, they they basically dropped their non-discrimination policies on sexual orientation. So basically, and so in res- students and professors could be uh, openly homosexual, and they were affirming of that. Well, I think uh, I think the issue was on their um, their hiring practices. Okay. So I'm not I'm not certain about. Uh, where they are on on student admission, I just I can't speak to that. But I know uh, it specifically addressed their hiring practices. And uh, according to uh, Dr. Oliver at Union, according to the letter that he wrote, the board at the CCCU knew about this for years that these two schools were considering it, but didn't act. And that there had been several gatherings where the council could have gone on record about expectations of membership, what it means to be a Christian college, a Christian university. And so uh, there, and this happened and these two schools announced it, the CCCU, their response was just a, we are going to respond in a deliberate and consultative manner. And Dr. Oliver said, uh, that's not enough. And this is a, an, a group we can't be a part of. So they made that move today. Uh, like I said, there are a number of Southern Baptist institutions uh, who have been a part of this. So it's going to be, a, a, as well as other evangelical schools. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Yes. And the CCCU is not an accrediting agency, correct? That That is correct. Uh, it is, it, it's really just a um, Maybe a fellowship. It's kind of, of an organization of yeah, fellowship. It's it's common. They they have a commitment to Christian teaching, um, or have had that, and uh, they work together, learn from each other, things like that. It's a collegial relationship. Okay. And it had 121 members prior to Union's departure. And Dr. Oliver is saying that as many as 40 uh, members could leave 
if uh, this is not resolved yes. and union is just the first. So be interesting to see where this Correct. goes. Yeah, I think seeing what CCCU does with this will be telling and that will see what happens to the, the rest of the schools. On a positive note, at Oklahoma Baptist University, Heath Thomas has been named the dean of the Hobbs College of Theology and Ministry. Positive is uh, in the eye of the beholder. It's yes. kind of sad. Over Positive here for, for us, Oklahoma but... Baptist University. I, I know it's uh, yeah. sad to see him go from Southeastern. Uh, he was a professor of Old Testament and Hebrew uh, there at, at Southeastern uh, with you guys. I'd uh, been there a while, I believe. Yeah, I've been there quite a while. Long, uh, was here for several years before we got here, and uh, he had a great family, uh, wonderful. He's made a great contribution at Southeastern, and so uh, we're, we're just really proud of this move for for him, even as we're sad to say goodbye. But that's that's kind of what happens, and he is going, and we are excited for them. Um, we're excited for what he's going to be able to do there as the dean. Yeah, so congratulations to Heath Thomas uh, for being named the Dean of the School of Theology at Oklahoma Baptist University. Interesting note in the press release, Heath has a Weimaraner. I know that is your favorite uh, breed of dog. You know, I don't think we have enough time to talk about uh, my connection with Weimaraners on, on this. We'll just say that I probably won't be getting any anytime soon, but (laughs) I have had one for three weeks. You did. You did have one for a few weeks. Uh, Moving on. It seems like every week we have a legal uh, update. This week it's ERLC and IMB supporting Baptist schools in a legal brief, uh, as well as Westminster Theological Seminary. We've kind of touched on this in the past. Uh, The Westminster Theological Seminary, Houston Baptist University, East Texas Baptist University, uh, among those who have petitioned the Supreme Court to review a lower court decision on the religious freedom of these universities and the Presbyterian Seminary in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's not anything that new in terms of what we've talked about. It's a, actually the Fifth Circuit decision we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, what is new is that is that the IMB and the ERLC have made a decision to file a friend of the court brief. So they're just sending in support, and uh, that will go... Um, that, that will go to this uh, on this appeal to the Supreme Court. Yes, and uh, that is something the URLC does quite frequently. So uh, they are always looking out for the religious liberty of our entities, uh, it, whether Southern Baptist or uh, just in general religious liberty terms uh, uh, from like-minded uh, institutions like Westminster. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep you up to date on everything that goes on with that, as we have been. It seems like every week we need a sponsor for the legal uh, breakdown. We can find some maybe. We do. We do. Some attorney. If you're an attorney and listening and want to sponsor the legal breakdown each week on SBC this week, get in touch with us. We'd, appreciate We'd be it. glad. All right. Uh, missions visionary Mike Barnett uh, died suddenly this past week at 62. A sad story uh, coming out of South Carolina. Yeah. He was a, a professor at Columbia International University. He's been the last 11 years. I taught intercultural and historical studies, but had a an impact that um, has gone on for a really long time. Um, I, I never met Mike Barnett, but uh, early in my days at Lifeway, I did uh, some work just helping in the final steps of Mission Shift, which was something yeah. that BNH Academic put out. Mm-hmm. And David Hasselgrave, Ed, Ed Stetzer, and a couple others. Yep. Yep. And Ed Stetzer was uh, editing that volume, and Mike Barnett was a part of that. So, mainly just in uh, preparing his the the things he would would bring in and we'd pull it all together and I think I 
with him a few times and um, just a stellar reputation and uh, known to be a wonderful human being. And uh, so anytime something like this happens, it's tough, especially when it happens so suddenly, but known very well in IMB circles and uh, has a, did a textbook discovering the mission of God uh, known, appreciated, respected very, very well. Speaking of Lifeway, there was a new research study released this week on divorce. Uh, It looks like Americans are split on divorce. So Lifeway Research went out and polled a survey of Americans and also broke it down among American Protestant pastors and basically asked them a list of questions of divorce is a sin when, and the answer for a couple no longer loves one another. So basically just they fall out of love and get a divorce. American pastors say that is a sin 61% of the time compared to the 38% among Americans. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that that was such a different number uh, across. Yeah, such a huge, a huge leap. Yes. Um, and and then the other the other thing was that as soon as you got to any other, other categories, it was a drastic Yeah, like a, a quote-unquote cause or, a, you know, event that caused uh, the divorce or that led to the divorce, like addicted to pornography, that was 39% for pastors, 35% for uh, the American general public saying that it's a sin uh, to divorce. Uh, only 32% of pastors say it's a sin to divorce when a spouse commits adultery. 28% when a spouse is abused uh, by their other spouse. Uh, and then 27% say that it's a sin whenever a couple gets a divorce if the spouse has abandoned uh, the other spouse. So uh, the, right. the numbers for the American Protestant pastors kind of as you get down there they kind of trail off and you can look at this in the link that we provide in the show notes but it's kind of interesting that the American public just see divorce as a sin it's really about 35 to 38 percent of the time and that that's about it I mean there's really no variation no matter what yeah the other number though that surprised me even though it was was low is that 19 percent of Protestant pastors said none of these reasons uh, so basically, they're saying divorce is not a sin. Yes. 20%. 20%. Of One in five pastors, pastors say that, divorce is not a sin. Which hmm. is pretty phenomenal. Too. That is uh, a, not what I would have expected. A little bit higher than I expected. Well, actually, a lot higher than I expected. Yeah. So yeah. there's some interesting research, though, from Life of Resource. They've been putting out a lot of stuff lately. Um, just some, some different cultural issue type uh, research. Uh, more, it seems, now than in uh, the recent past. So... We enjoy that new research, and we'll move on to uh, the trustee report from Guidestone. In a recap article at Baptist Press this week, the trustees from Guidestone uh, outlined the four main areas that Guidestone works with, investments, retirement, insurance, uh, and property and casualty insurance, uh, as well as the Mission Dignity Project uh, that O.S. Hawkins has uh, really spurred on in the past few years through his uh, books, uh, the Joshua Code and others. The the report really was just really positive. Uh, Guidestone's doing a very good job with their investments, the retirement accounts for Southern Baptist employees and pastors, as well as insurance uh, premiums and property and casualty insurance for churches and health insurance. Chief Operating Officer John R. Jones uh, stated that even with the challenges that the Affordable Care Act has has presented for Guidestone in their insurance, the health insurance uh, areas uh, that they've been experienced dramatic results in the insurance line of business with increases in enrollment. So uh, I think a lot of people are turning to Guidestone as uh, the Affordable Care Act becomes more prevalent and and we see such a change in the health insurance uh, arena 
uh, Guidestones becoming a more preferred provider for that. Uh, not only uh, are they preferred now with uh, investments in retirement like they have historically been, but the insurance business seems to be picking up as well. So uh, if that That's report good. is well, available. Well, good, good news for Guidestone is always good news for us. Yes, because uh, a lot of us and a lot of you listening to us uh, probably have some money in Guidestone. So I know I do. One of the big items of note that we have uh, discussed on the podcast, uh, not just in the last few weeks, but uh, earlier in the uh, podcast, uh, this episode number two, when we had Julio Adiola, we talked about diversity in the SBC. And uh, we talked about his Hispanic background uh, as he came from Mexico to the U.S. as an immigrant uh, with his wife. And while at SBC, I had a chance to sit down with Juan Sanchez, and Juan was able to share uh, both his story at his church in Austin, Texas, as well as uh, just a, a view of Hispanics and diversity in the SBC in general. Today, we're joined by Juan Sanchez. Juan is the pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Juan, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Very happy to be here. Now, Juan, you've been at High Point how long? I've been at High Point. August 1st will be 10 years Okay, so 10-year anniversary coming up in August uh, of you being there, and you've probably seen a lot of different uh, dynamics go through that church in, in your time being there. It, it was a somewhat of a revitalization, mm-hmm. um, so the church was kind of a, at a downturn, and so we were able to come in, um, just stabilize things and see some church health uh, over time. Uh, you know, we, we had a membership of about 1,500 um, but there were about 350 people attending. And so um, we were trying to figure out who we're supposed to be ministering to, you know, who are the other 1,200 people that are on the membership role. So it was a process of revitalization, trying to understand who we're ministering to. And so, um, I mean, one of the first things I did was just have a, a phone call campaign to try to call through the entirety of the membership just to figure out, you know, who's who, where they are. And if they were somewhere else, then we wanted to say, thank you, God bless you, pray that you grow there. Um, we're just trying to identify, you know, who's who's here at High Point. And so, um, and, and then we took some steps after that. So over a process of really over five, six years, trying to do it carefully and well, you know, we finally identified a membership of about 500 now. And uh, we have six to 700 that, you know, show up on a Sunday morning. Whenever you're talking about the revitalization and contacting these people, what were some of the processes? Like, if there are pastors listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I know I've got a bloated role, yeah. how, how can they address that? Yeah. You know, the first thing to understand is um, uh, it is actually healthy to understand who you're responsible for, you know, uh, as a pastor. Second, secondly, and maybe this should be first, you know, biblically it's important because we're going to give an account. And I want to be able to give an account for the people that I knew were under my care instead of the people I don't know anything about and, and don't know how to care for them because I don't know who, even who they are. So I think it's, you know, it, it's biblically demanded of us to know our sheep uh, because we're going to give an account before God. And then secondly, it's just healthy uh, as a church to know who you're caring for. And, um, and so, so we have a, a group of pastors, and, and we regularly, at our leadership meetings, we regularly pray through our church directory, and we're regularly asking questions. Hey, have you seen the Smiths? You know, uh, and, and if no one says anything, okay, when was the last time anybody saw the Smiths? And it's like, what, four, you know, a month? You know, are you, are you kidding me? So <clears throat> it, it may be more like two months. You know, they say six weeks. 
then, okay, who has a good relationship with the Smiths and, and wants to follow up? And just check on them, make sure they're doing okay. So intentionality. There's there. a, yeah, real intentionality, uh, you know. And, and one of the unique things about High Point is that it's multicultural and multi-ethnic. And that was there from the very beginning. Okay, yeah, that, that was, was I was going to ask if it was like that yeah, whenever you that was there. the intention of the founding pastor. And so, you know, God bless that intention, uh, that intentionality from the beginning. And so, um, so it's very interesting to try to shepherd different people that think in different ways. You know, so Americans parent in a certain way, and then our African members parent in a very different way. You know, and so you have different cultures, some who have their children right by them, and some whose children run all over the place, you know, and, and have very different parenting philosophies. So, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to shepherd a very diverse congregation. Now, if a pastor, maybe they realize that their community, because a lot of times what happens is a pastor comes to a church, maybe the community changes. You, you've been there sure. 10 years. I'm sure yeah. you've even yeah. seen community change yeah. there, uh, even though it is multicultural, multi-ethnic right. church. Now, what about a pastor who comes in, has a, a more homogenous group, sure. but the community around him changes? How do you implement those multicultural? Because those people need to be reached as well. And the Absolutely. church is in the community. Yeah. How do they reach those different cultures, different ethnicities that are present in their community mm-hmm. with the homogenous unit that they've, you know, they started with? Sure. Well, the first thing I would argue is that you have to be convinced of Scripture yourself that this is what the gospel demands. And so for me, you know, I, working through Ephesians, I came to that understanding and that realization. You know, uh, when, when Paul says in Ephesians 2 that... Um, you know, through Christ, Jew and Gentile have been brought together into one new man. You know, uh, I'm trying to understand, okay, so that makes sense, but why? Well, in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, Paul is arguing that the eternal purpose of God is to unite all things under Christ. You know, so when Adam sinned, he brought in chaos and disorder, disunity, uh, disharmony. But God had a plan from all eternity to unite all things under Christ. And part of the eternal plan to unite all things under Christ is to unite formerly hostile parties together into one. And so by the time that we get to Ephesians 3, Paul's saying is that through the church, God displays his manifold wisdom to the cosmic powers. And, and what Paul is, the way Paul describes his ministry is that he, he was called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of the Jewish Messiah, that they're now included in the one people of God, and to bring to light to everyone what is the purpose of, of this plan of God. And so what's fascinating to me is what Paul is actually saying is he has the privilege of when he preaches the gospel that includes Jew and Gentile, and when Gentiles respond in repentance and faith are incorporated into the one body of Christ, he is actually showing everyone the eternal plan of God unfolding to unite all things under Christ. So evangelism is has cosmic implications. You know, as you evangelize and as you see people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities coming to faith in Christ, you are participating in the eternal plan of God to unite all things under Christ. And then Paul says, in the church, when we see the church living life together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are actually displaying to the cosmic powers, our God is wise. And, and you know, we're displaying when we live together as a church that, that the demonic realm is defeated, where, where 
communicating to the angelic coast. Look how wise our God is that he takes formerly hostile peoples and brings them together and they live together as one. You know, so in Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about the unity, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so I think that's when I became convinced, you know what, the church can't just be something of human ingenuity that we could bring together by our own creativity. So, you know, we can get together a bunch of Hispanic people if we have the right food and the right music (laughs) and the right, you know, flags, so to speak. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's of human ingenuity. And so, uh, you you know, in Texas, we have a lot of cowboy churches. Mm -hmm. You can get a lot of people together. And and I'm thankful that there are unbelieving people who come to faith in Christ through these efforts. But I, well, you guys have planted a Hispanic we, church. We have, we have so. planted a Hispanic church. That's right. And, you know, but I've become convinced that it is it is beautiful. It is wise. It is it is unbelievable to get people together from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different generations, and when they're living together as a church, as brothers and sisters, and coming to the Lord's table. And, and sharing the gospel and reaching out, that's when the world takes a look and says, now, wait a minute, that's different. Yeah. You know, so it's not just diversity, but it's a diversified unity. Yeah, it's so kind of a foretaste of Revelation 5. That's exactly right. So it's not just getting a bunch of diverse people in a room. It's actually them actually learning how to relate together as one. So that's my biblical conviction of why multi-ethnic church is an important pursuit. Now, here's the caveat, because because I think this is... This is becoming sexy, so to speak, you know, multi-ethnic churches. And I think it's a good emphasis, but I think the danger is, is where you have pastors of, you know, say churches in certain situations or maybe small churches or whatever the case is, and they might feel beat up, you know, because they're trying, they, they have the same heart, same vision. But the reality is, I think a better way to say it is, I think we should intentionally reach out to our communities so that our churches then reflect our community. Oh, yeah. Of course. So in, instead of saying, you know, well, we're going to have a multi-ethnic church. Well, if it's 90% African-American in the place where you live, it's, you know. Yeah, it, it's it going to be hard to get a multi-ethnic that, church. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so I think we should think about it more of what are we doing to reach our community with the gospel? Yeah. And how are we doing to reach the different peoples that in live the community. Yeah, in yeah. our community? And our church really should reflect that community, mm-hmm. which is very different than what used to happen. You know, when the demographic around the church building changed, yeah. the people would then leave mm-hmm. and go somewhere else and start a church yeah. um, where there were people like themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things we've seen over the past few years is more African-Americans being hired in Southern Baptist churches, more African-Americans being, uh, more Hispanics being hired. Uh, this week, we're recording this at the Southern Baptist Convention. Julio Ariola is leading us in music at the annual meeting. First time we've had a Hispanic uh, leader, a music director at the convention. And Fred Luter, a couple of years ago, president. So we've seen more diversity, not only within the, uh, the local church, but also in denominationally. How do we keep that going? Is it is it just a we need to look across? Obviously, we need to look across you know skin color and and cultures for different hiring positions in the church. But those hirings also should reflect the communities as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, you know there there's a lot to unpack in in the way that you just asked the question. But the first thing I would say is let's go to local church first. Yeah, um, yeah we could hire. Uh, 
Hispanic youth minister, mm-hmm. and we can hire an African an African American music director, yeah. you know, music pastor, whatever whatever we want to call them. You know, we can hire diverse staff, or we can have diverse leadership, however that you know your leadership structure in your church yeah. is. Um, and that's all well and good, but again, I go back to the. It's not just diversity; it's a unified diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, so or a diversified unity, however, however, <laughs> makes, however whichever makes, way, it makes yeah, sense. whichever way it makes most sense. Um, so, uh, if you hire an African American youth minister just to hire an African American youth minister and reach African American people, you know, you may you may accomplish that purpose but is that person like-minded you know philosophically you know philosophy of ministry theologically are they um and and even before that i would argue are they qualified so so the the danger in the pursuit of diversity for the sake of diversity is that you would compromise the qualifications of pastors that the new testament lays out in first timothy 3 titus 1 uh, Acts 20, the, the responsibilities mm-hmm. there. Well, and, you mentioned qualifications. Yeah. And you know, we have a mutual friend, Edgar Aponte. Yeah. At Southeastern, who's yeah. leading a, a big diversity challenge there. I know you've worked with Southern as well. Yes. Um, and uh, you're part of the Gospel Coalition Council, and you have, you this past year, led the Coalition, I believe, at, right. the, at the Gospel Coalition Conference in April. This coming year, you're going to yes. be doing the first... Uh, I think uh, you explained to us, you were telling me about it earlier, uh, before T4G. Yeah, the uh, Spanish pre-conference before uh-huh. Together for the Gospel. So training these pastors that, right. are, that are from these different backgrounds, right. um, giving them access to the, mm-hmm. the same kind of training that, that right. most of us have, right. uh, and that they may have not have had before to get those qualifications. Right. So they can get hired, so they will get hired, so churches will more uh, reflect their communities. Right. Yeah, so part of Edgar and my vision if you will, is um, to kind of shift the culture uh, of the training of pastors and, and ministry leaders from uh, reading books by English authors that are translated, whether it's systematic theologies or church histories or whatever, and really to see our own people raised up. Mm-hmm. And so that starts now, and it, it's starting now. Yeah. You know, so Edgar's finishing up a PhD. I'm finishing up a PhD. You know, we want to identify key guys, and we want to raise up men who will be writing the theologies and writing the histories and, you know, uh, writing the the different books that will be used in the Spanish-speaking world to train Hispanic pastors. And so that's one of the that's one of the important things that we want to do. And so so right now, the Lord has given us the ability. Um, by his grace to gather, we gathered about 700 uh, Hispanics um, in Orlando, uh, you know, this April. And and we were overwhelmed by the response. And, I mean, people came from Guatemala, they came from um, uh, Dominican Republic, from Puerto Rico, from Cuba, um, you know, from Panama, from all over the Spanish-speaking world and um to, to this conference and it was really exciting and they encouraged us and say we need more of this so please you know please keep doing something like this yeah you and mentioned so, cuba mm-hmm. uh u.s trade embargo and travel restrictions have lessened in recent times they have um well the embargo has not but but the the travel restrictions have lessened um uh, it, it doesn't make that much of a difference uh, for us, for example, uh, we used to have to have a license from the Treasury Department 
for example, our church, mm-hmm. in order to go okay. and take goods. So your church has been going and yes, ministering yes. to so I go about once a year. Okay. This year I'll probably go a second time. Um, and we're seeing, we're seeing a great movement of God in Cuba. And what we're trying to do is we see a window of opportunity, regardless of what happens. It could go either way. So if, if after uh, Raul Castro hands over leadership, and that's already been announced. Hands over. That's right. Yeah. Um, Quote, unquote. <laughs> so, so, you know, the next guy that comes in has already been identified. You know, if something bad happens and they shut everything down, um, then we have a window to train pastors. So that's to get what we're in there now, to train them train now, just in case. pastors. Yeah. You know, the, the main focus we have right now is training them in expositional preaching, how to read their Bibles and how to teach Bible. Mm-hmm. Because... Because it's got to be the indigenous pastors that are leading, you know, the, the, the cause of the gospel. And so that's what we're doing now. We're pouring into indigenous pastors, and we're seeing great fruit from that. The other issue is if it completely opens up, then everybody's going to go down there, and everyone's going to be taking everything. Do you think you'd see another kind of what we've seen with the Pentecostal movement in Latin America? Um, more of a prosperity-ish gospel. Well, that, see, that's already infiltrating okay. everywhere. The prosperity, the prosperity gospel, you know, quote unquote, it is everywhere, and it is decimating everywhere, and and it it is like a parasite on poor people, and 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 it is even in Cuba, believe it or not. Um, it probably would be more prominent, but there were probably other other non-Christian cults that will be more free to come in as well. And so um, I'm not familiar with, with the trends of what happened in Russia after communism fell and things opened up. But I imagine perhaps some similar things yeah. might, you know, uh, might happen. Uh, again, that, and that's a spectrum. Those are two extremes. Yes, of course. My, my hope is that something more moderated would would occur that there would be a, a transition of power and a continual opening of relations between the united states um you know for the sake of the gospel it, that's not a, meant to be a political yeah, statement yeah of course you know and um one of the final questions we always ask our guests on the show is where do you see the sbc in 20 years so where where do you see uh not only the convention but maybe just diversity in the convention in 20 years yeah, you know it's it's interesting. It's hard to hard to say in one sense as far as diversity. One of the things that we're seeing now is the emergence of young leadership within the Southern Maps Convention. So with uh, Russell Moore at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, David Platt at the International Mission Board, and even Kevin Ezell, um, you know, and Jason the, Allen at Jason Midwestern. Allen at Midwestern. You know, and I'm sure there are guys already thinking about you know their end. You know, so. Uh, whether it's Dr. Moeller at Southern Seminary, you know, um, so so in 20 years, there's going to be a complete transition and turnover of leadership in institutions. And I think right now we're beginning to see some of that young leadership emerge. And, and I think, uh, for example, uh, Russell Moore at the ERLC has been very clear, very winsome, um, you know, very dedicated to communicating clearly, you know, uh, our convictions in the public square. So that's been very helpful. Um, it'll be interesting to see the International Mission Board in 10 years, yeah. you know, because of all the changes that have just now been announced, you know, the, the implications of that. And my understanding is the desire, I think the right desire of David Platt to, to open up so that more people can go 
and serve in the mission field, not necessarily in full-time appointment capacity, but if engineers, doctors, you know, scientists want to serve, you know, that there would be those opportunities. As far as diversity is concerned, you know, this is just my gut impression, but I think the structures of the ethnic language ministries of the Southern Baptist Convention are lagging behind. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so one of the things that this is one person's opinion. It is not a scientific survey or anything like that. But when I look at particularly the ethnic language groups within the SBC, what I would envision is like going back in time 30, 40, maybe even 50 years to the Southern Baptist Convention. So in 20 years, maybe, you know, the Hispanic uh, part of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention might be in the 1990s. Um, so... <clears throat> I think we need to really invest in some of the younger uh, Hispanic men going through seminary, you know, training them up to take leadership roles. And, um, and so, uh, I, I mean, I have great hope. Uh, we'll continue to see diversity, but my concern is always pushing diversity for the sake of diversity. And when you do that, there's always a temptation to put the wrong person in leadership. Okay. Well, thank you, Juan. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah. uh, Great to be with you. Thanks for that, Jonathan. Um, Really good conversation. Juan is always great uh, to talk to. We've listened to him speak before, had Q&As, and uh, we were with him and Janine at Southern years ago. Yeah, I was wondering if if y'all had overlapped while you were at Southern. We we did indeed, and they are a, a wonderful couple. Uh, the the timing of that uh, playing that interview is really good. The, this week, a group of forty Southern Baptist Hispanic pastors came together to form the Hispanic Baptist Pastors Alliance. This is a group that comes from fifteen states, uh, Canada and Puerto Rico, and have come together, really coming to stand behind uh, the Baptist faith and message, uh, saying that they all hold to this and to say we want to work together. Um, They want to work to reach the 52 million Hispanics uh, that they say are, you know, encompass a a broad spectrum of cultures is is what uh, the article said. And they are the largest ethnic group in the nation Mm -hmm. now. So they want to, yeah, so they want to come together. Uh, These are people like Felix Cabrera, Jose Abella, um, several others uh, have come together and made a, a declaration to support Southern Baptist leaders. Hispanics have been the fastest growing ethnic group in the Southern Baptist Convention for a few years now, I believe. And it's encouraging to see them rallying around not just who we are as Southern Baptists, but who they are as Southern Baptists as a part of who we are as a whole. This is great news. And it kind of comes on the back of uh, me recording that interview with Juan Sanchez. Uh, just a few weeks right. ago, not knowing this was coming. We have 42 of the largest Hispanic Baptist churches coming together to to unite around who we are as Southern Baptists. And because you know, there's a lot of concern, I don't know if concern's the right word, not for these churches, but I know in the, the Latin American world and for those coming to the United States, um, a lot of prosperity gospel teaching, Pentecostalism right. in Latin America, South America, that's one of the fastest growing areas for that the global south is and with the hispanics coming to the united states you you could see where that may shift away from the baptist faith and message 2000 but with these guys coming together saying no this is where we're anchored this is where our churches are anchored and and we're going to reach people uh through the lens of 
to Southern Baptist Convention and the Baptist Faith's Message 2000. That's a very encouraging sign, uh, both theologically and practically, for believers in the United States. Right, and it's a smaller picture of what we're doing as a whole. We can do more together than we can do apart. Yeah. And so you have this group of, of people coming together and saying, we want sound doctrine uh, to be reaching our community, and so we're going to link arms and make sure that that happens. So Felix Cabrera, thank you for organizing this group. Uh, we'll have to see if we can get Felix on at some point on the podcast to, to tell us more about exactly how they're going to uh, come together, how they're going to fellowship. I'm sure there'll be meetings and initiatives coming from the Hispanic Baptist Pastors Alliance in the future, and we wish them the best. And uh, Felix, we'll have to get in touch with you and get you on the podcast. Resources of the week. Uh, mine this week actually doesn't come out until September 1st, but you can pre-order it now. It's uh, called The Original Jesus, Trading the Myths We Create for the Savior Who Is. And it's by Dan Darling, who yep. is the Vice President uh, for Communications at the ERLC. Dan is a great guy, former pastor, um, who writes a does has done a lot of stuff for Leadership Journal. Love that uh, he does a podcast yes, as well. The way home. Uh, yep. So, but it, but he's doing this basically talking about how, uh, particularly in American culture, people are always trying Jesus and uh, coming away disappointed because they are following more the Jesus of popular culture. And so he's laying out uh, Jesus is not this, and he lays out you know ha- has some different concepts. But he's, this is who he is. And uh, so I'm excited about this. I have pre-ordered it. So I'm looking forward to it arriving at my house. Uh, So I can't say I haven't read it, but I know it's going to be great. And so I'm offering it up there to encourage other people to pre-order it as well. Yeah, we had Dan on the show recently talking about some of the issues over at ERLC and things that they're facing. So uh, Dan is a good friend of mine. I've known Dan for quite a while. I mean, I, I worked with him at my previous job. He was one of our authors. Uh, when I was working in the publishing world uh, prior to coming to Lifeway. So I've known Dan, golly, for about six when, or seven where years you, now. Where you, also, you also work in the publishing world at Lifeway. Yes. Well, yeah, I guess I do work in the publishing world. I don't work directly in book publishing at Lifeway, though. So Right. But, yes, right. we are still in the publishing world. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yes. Dan. Dan's a good friend. Known him for a long time, and I'm really excited about his new book, The Original Jesus. Like you said, Amy, you can pre-order that today. Uh, and we've got the link at the website at spcthisweek.com. My resource of the week is the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary Series from B&H. It is a series going through the Bible, giving like expositional commentary, not really your academic commentary or a theological commentary. There are some academic parts of it. There are some theological parts of it, but really just an expositional preaching book-by-book book commentary. Right. Uh, one of the new ones is uh, out uh, by Micah Free, Stephen Rummage, and Robbie Gallaty that covers Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the last four books of the Old Testament. I know a lot of them are out right now. Uh, I think your boss, Dr. Aiken, uh, David Platt, and Tony Morita are the three general editors for this series. Uh, and I think Tony's actually won an award this past year for one of the best commentaries uh, out there. And, and his was on Galatians. His commentary for Galatians that he wrote won yeah. an award for yeah. uh, CBA, I think, honored it with uh, a best resource in the category. So, Yeah, I saw that just uh, today, I think, was when I saw that news. So uh, it's a, a great series really geared toward people who are teaching 
in, in some capacity, whether they're preaching, leading a Bible study, uh, whatever people teaching. It's a fantastic. Of course, we have a lot of them around where I am, uh, and uh, it's a great series. We're really excited about it. And I've got I've got like the whole series because we get copies at, at Lifeway, so I've got like the whole series. So it's a lot where you are too. Yes. So it's it's kind of neat to have all those. So I, I would encourage if you're preaching book by book through the Bible, um, pick a book they've already done and <laughs> and do one of those, and it, it'll help. So I know, uh, but they've got people from all over. They're the main editors of it. But they, like we said, we've got uh, Micah Free, Stephen Rummage, Robbie Galley did those the ones I'm looking at right here on my screen. Uh, but John Aiken I know did the one on Proverbs, uh, and they've had multiple other people. Uh, work through different books of the Bible. So you can check all that out uh, at the link we have on the website at sbcthisweek.com. Amy, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thanks again. All right. See you next week. <laughs>